remember that's how he wants us to live, with humble dependence upon him. All right, let's pray for the service. We have a number of things to pray about today, and we have a number of things to be thankful for. Such a dedication is, is an awesome thing to witness, but again, it's a big calling for us as a church to remember, okay, now I'm to lead and be an example for someone who's going to grow up depending on me as the church family, extended family, immediate family, and all that. Amen? So let's go ahead and pray. Um, I didn't know we was going to have so many BNGs today. Boy, we're about to have some food and we're going to celebrate. Amen. Can I, let me hear, let me see all the BNG folks raise their hand. Okay. We're about to take over the church. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we thank you for uh, how good you are that we can laugh, we can joke, and God, that we can witness and be a part of such a great dedication. God, we thank you for Lucy and the Nieblas family. God, we thank you for um, the, a, a day that we can celebrate just uh, new life. God, that we can celebrate um, just all the things that you've promised to us, all the words you've said to us. God, that we can grow closer to you each day. We thank you for the barbecue and just an awesome time of fellowship and fun. God, we thank you for Pastor Mike being an awesome pastor. We thank you for the message he's about to preach. God, we ask that you would fill him up with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would allow him to speak a mighty word to us and that we might leave here changed, living, empowered by your spirit, dedicated to your word, and looking like your son, Jesus Christ. Be with us now on this day and forevermore. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Though uh, Most of the text is in your outline this morning. As our children go to a children's church today, we just uh, pray that God will really use that time in their lives to, to learn more about Jesus. Uh, the message this morning is entitled, Bad News, Then Good News. And as we think about that, that's, uh, that's kind of a pretty good description of life, isn't it? There are times when things are going well and times when things aren't going that well sometimes we describe the things going on as bad and sometimes we describe the things that are going are are good and we see that not only personally uh, within our families at times within churches but also within our nation as well and we recognize there's some serious things have been handed down to us by our supreme court most recently and and it looks like bad news but in the midst of uh, darkness we as god's people can show our light in a bright way to show our uh, love for people and present the message of Christ in, in a clear and powerful way. But even as we were this morning having an opportunity to begin the service with good news, the dedication of Lucy this morning, uh, as we think about it, her, her journey is just beginning as uh, she lives life out here as long as God allows her to live and to serve and uh, to know him, uh, and hopefully that's really soon. I came across a story just recently that um, kind of uh, had kind of a bad news, good news uh, kind of uh, spin to it in terms of, of just thinking. Sometimes if people come to you, they, they might give you a compliment. They might flatter you a little bit and say, you're really looking good today. You know? and, and they might say, they might even add to it as, as I get older, that you look pretty good for your, for your age. You know? And I'm thinking, is that a compliment or is that a put down? I can't figure out what that is. But here, here's how the story went. Uh, as uh, we think about good news, bad news, and we'll start with some good news and see how it ends. A, a woman uh, was walking down a residential street, noticed a little old man rocking in a chair on his porch. She called out to him as she passed. Hello there. I couldn't help but notice how happy you look. What's your secret for a long, happy life? And he responded, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, he replied. I also drink a case of whiskey a week. 
eat nothing but fast food, and I never exercise. Wow, the woman was amazed. How old are you, she asked. 26, he replied. He <laughs> uh, didn't look that good for 26. And as you think about life, life is lived out. And either we live it out according to God's plan or we live it out according to our own plan. And, and let's just say as we think about God's love and grace and mercy to us, he's got a better plan than any plan this world has to offer. And as we think about it, however, some people just don't get in on that plan. And that's the bad news. Now, the good news is God gives invitation for people to get in on that plan, the good news. But we need to recognize that it's, it's going to be a journey in which we have to give everything we have to follow after God. And also, as we think about it, there are many reasons why people never get it. And in fact, but for the grace of God, no one, would get it. Some people, as they go through life, they, they think somehow, well, you know, I, I can wait a little bit later in life to decide whether I want to get religion or, or get faith or get connected. And, and what they don't realize is their condition is not just a sick condition, but it's much more severe than that. And, and so what I want to do this morning is I, I want to talk about some bad news that that I didn't invent, but the Bible declares clearly. But then we want to end very quickly, and we'll see more of it in our weeks to come. Again, the good news that God has for each and every one. Uh, this message is kind of in two halves, though the vast majority of it will be in the first half. And, and really what I want to do is, is I want to answer two questions. Uh, I want to answer the question, first of all, what, what was your life B.C., before Christ? And then what is your life AC, after Christ. So if you have your outlines this morning, let, let's look at that as we, we follow along and, and just see what God has for us this morning as we, as we simply try to discover what, what, is, what is the bad news. And, and until we really understand just how bad the news is, we'll never really appreciate the good news and probably we'll never experience the good news. And as you look at your text, I want you first of all to look at verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 2. It's in your outline. And then I want you to look at verse 4. And in many ways, this kind of summarizes the human condition as well as how God intervenes. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the first two words simply say, it says, and you. And what we're going to look at in just a few moments is... What are you or what were you when all you were were you? Now jump down to verse 4. The first two words there are, but God. And really the message of the Bible, whether, you, whether you've ever really understood it deeply, it's, it can be summarized in those four words, and you, but God. And some are only on one side of that equation. It's only you. It's only you. And if that is true of you this morning, then that's, that's bad news. And, and I, I hate to say that, but that's bad news if all you've got is you. The good news, however, is but God. God can intervene and, and change everything. And, and as Paul began this letter to the church at Ephesus, and he allows us to read somebody else's mail, is that so far the, the news has been an emphasis on the good news. 
for those who have experienced God. And remember that statement, and, and God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've got everything. But just like when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, and just as he knows we're going to be looking at it, God Almighty, that we'd be looking at on this Sunday, June 30th, 2013, he recognizes not everyone is in on it. And so he, he wants to rattle our cages and, and declare to us clearly, what are you when you're only you? Now, as we go through this morning, we're going to put it in the past tense. You were. And I hate to say this, but some of you, it should be said you are. Because you're still in this condition. But hopefully for us who are in the past, you were. It, it allows us again to just be amazed at God's grace from where we used to be before God and where we are now. Okay? Well, let me, let me summarize what I'm going to say in this section, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at it in a little bit more detail. What were you when you were only you? The Bible says very plainly that you were dead, you were sons of disobedient, you were depraved with your desires, and you were doomed. You were dead, you were disobedient, you were depraved, and you were doomed. Now, that sounds like what kind of news? Shall I start all over? What kind of news is that? That's, that's bad news. I don't think anyone wants to be dead. I mean, to, to be... You know, shocking. We, we would not bring up Patrick and Becky to dedicate a child that had just passed away. The reason we, we dedicated Lucy this morning is because she's alive, at least physically. But what God wants to say to us is, as we look at our lives, B.C., before we were in Christ, or maybe even now because we're still before Christ, that we are dead. We are sons of disobedience. We are depraved. And we're headed for a future in which we're doomed. And in light of that backdrop of bad news, then the good news is just, is that which just knocks us off our proverbial feet and want us to bow before a God who could rescue us from that condition. Well, let's look at the plain stated Words from the pen of the Apostle Paul or his secretary as he wrote down the words that Paul wrote and look at what he had said. And, and you, in most of your translations, will say he was quickened and, or he made alive, but that's actually inserted in the text to have a free flow. It really simply says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, this is really the message of the entire Bible. God didn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I've got to share this with you. I, I, uh, I visited... Uh, one of our, well, second, first, well, he's our oldest male uh, member of our church. He's 98 years of age. He, um, Buford Whitney. Some of you are familiar with Buford. Um, he hasn't been in our church for a number of years because of his health conditions, but he's now in a, in a hospice uh, private home. And, and at a, age 98, I was talking to him yesterday, and he said, you know, now that I'm kind of in a prone position, I have a lot more time to read. And I'm thinking, I wonder what he's reading. I just finished the second part of the Bible. I'm now going back to the first part. So at age 98, he's still reading this book. So if any of you feel you're too old to read this book, anybody 98 this morning here? Okay. But, you know, that's, a, that's an indication that he hasn't died before he's stopped breathing. 
And he's got a life in his, in, his, in his heart that was given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a time in which he was dead. In fact, I remember, this all comes back to memory. He, he came to my office just a few years ago. He says, you know, I, I'm not really, when he was only, you know, a young whippersnapper at age 94. At age 94, he came and I says, I, I've been in church all my life, but I, I'm not real sure what's going to happen when I die. I, you know, I made a profession when I was 21, and, and I... But, you know, I'm, I'm not real sure. And so we went through the, the simple message of Christ. And he had already made that commitment, but he just reaffirmed his faith because he didn't want to go through life dead. He wanted to be alive. Well, Isaiah chapter 59 gives that same message that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. In other words, you think about the, the wingspan. If you're an NBA f- uh, fan, they, they just had the NBA draft. And they talk about how tall people are and, they, and what kind of wingspan they have. They're the guy's six foot five, but he has the wingspan of a seven foot one center. You know, they have the long arms. And you say, as you think about God and God's ability to say, he doesn't have a short arm. And, and if you have someone who's going to, you know, reach out to you when you're on your, your last step, Falling to a cliff or a, into a, in a, to an abyss or whatnot. You want to make sure a person can reach you. The problem with, with God is not that he has a short reach, as Isaiah says, or, uh, beca- or that he cannot save. He's got a length, uh, he has a long enough arm to, to reach out to grab people. Nor is his hear heavy that it cannot hear. Sometimes when we talk with God, we think he's not listening. And if he's not listening, maybe we're thinking maybe he's incapable of listening. That's not the condition of God. He can reach out and touch us, and he can hear everything we say. But there's something keeping us from connecting with him. And that's verse 2. But your iniquities, this uh, fancy word in the Old Testament for sin, things we do that are wrong, have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. See, our, our, our lives speak so loudly that we are disinterested in him, that God does not listen to us and he just doesn't, doesn't reach out to us. And, and we need to recognize that really we're incapable of bridging that separation. He goes on in verse 3, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. And say, well, that, that can't be me. I haven't, I haven't committed any murders recently. There's no blood in my hands. But then he brings down sin to where we all live. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue has muttered perversity. To convince ourselves that that we are far from God, all we have to look at is what comes out of our mouth. The the things that we say that if if everyone heard what we would say, we would be mortified. We We would just be humiliated. Because what comes out of our mouth reflects what's in our heart. And what God is saying here, because of that, your condition is dead. Now, dead in the Bible really means separated. There's, there's, a, there's a separation from living and, and not living, connecting and not connecting. There, there's this huge, insurpassable gap between two people. And, and he describes this, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And just for a moment, and I have to be careful, we won't get past the first point. You know, when someone is dead, what is their condition? When a person is dead, they're incapable of responding to any kind of stimuli. Probably most of us here have been to memorial services or funeral services, and maybe the casket's there, and, and you, you go up to, to pay your last respects. 
But if you try to talk to that person in the casket, they're not going to respond. If you were to pinch them, they wouldn't jump. If you were to put smelling salts in front of them, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't react. Because they're incapable of responding to any stimulus. And that's what God is saying to us, not physically, but spiritually. We're not sick. We manifest sickness. But we're, we're in a much more serious condition. We're dead. We're dead to God. And, and what we're dead is because of our involvement, our condition of being in trespasses and in sins. And with that, he's not talking about an individual sin. He's talking about a sinful condition or, or being in a condition of, of living a life with trespasses. Now, if you've been in places like this before, you've heard those words defined, or at least one of them, uh, the one we'll look at secondly. But the, the word trespass it simply means to, to miss the path or to experience something I've experienced uh, sometimes more seriously than others, but it means you're lost. And there are times if you really lie, you are incapable of getting back. And you need to be rescued. Or the word sin, which is the one used more often in the New Testament, 173 times, it means to miss the mark. And if you're in competition, the goal is to hit the bullseye or to score the goal or to drop the putt or whatever it is. And if you don't do it, you've failed. So the human condition, the bad news is, is that we're dead. We're lost. We've missed the mark. We have failed in relationship to God. But in case they didn't quite get it there, he, he goes on and says, I, I want you to really understand your condition here. And in verse Two, he says this, in which you once walked, and this is why we're saying you were dead. He's speaking to them who predominantly were this. They were B.C. before Christ, and now they're A.C. They've experienced Christ after Christ. But you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You were dead. You were sons of disobedience. Now, what does that mean to be a son of disobedience? Well, a son, and since Lucy is a daughter, you could say a son or a daughter, is, is one who is related to. Now, Lucy is related to you and Patrick, Becky? You guys, you relate? Okay, they're connected to those two over there. And also, they are distinctive of, which simply means this, is that some of the good qualities in the DNA and in the experience they have together, Lucy's going to pick that up. But she's also going to pick up some of their weaknesses, some of their tendencies that, that they wish they didn't transmit to their daughter. And, and see, we need to recognize that when we are sons of disobedience, we are like, we're related to, and we're distinctive of, we have the characteristics of um, the person we're related to. And, and we're going to see in this text very simply, we, we are related to the world and we're related to the evil one. And, and, and that's why we live like we live. 
we are related to and distinctive of, first of all, the world. He said, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Now, as human beings, we live on this planet. But he's not talking about living on planet Earth. He's talking about the world, cosmos, in which it talks about the systems of this world, the the world order, the values of this world. Are are there any values in this world that we would not want to adopt, but often we do? I mean, you know, there's a number of ones you could just say right off the top that is so indicative of the world we live in. Uh, One is what's called humanism, which we elevate man over anything else as far as what uh, what we think is right. Uh, You know, the one thing you could say very clearly with the Supreme Court, they did not consider what God might think about the positions they were taking. That was probably the furthest from their mind. In fact, they probably thought that would have been wrong to consider what God might have thought about the positions they took on the, on the edicts they made. And that simply means this, is that, is that we think we are the judge of everything. And see, that is diametrically opposed to, to being a God follower, to being a Jesus follower. To be a Jesus follower, we have now changed ownership. And we're saying, no, it's not what the world thinks, it's what God thinks whether it's popular or not, whether it's politically correct or not. Materialism. Uh, that's another value. Yeah, the, the, what really is important in life is having more things, you know, raising our level of, of lifestyle at, at whatever level. I mean, it, it, it's not just for those who are the rich and famous, but everyone, they just want more. And they feel that's where happiness is. Of course, sexual perversion is rampant. And we're just not talking about homosexuality. The homophobic label that are put on Christians is just not true. We are just as against fornication and adultery as, as, as homosexual lifestyle. And the reason we're against that is because it destroys people's lives. We don't see any sin more decadent than any other sin. Some have graver consequences. But we just believe that God's way is the best way. And so as we think about the condition, the bad news is, is that we're born into being related to this world and we, we want to be conformed to this world. We want, to be, we want people to be impressed with us. And there's so much pressure for that. But he also says, not only are you walking according to this world, but according to the prince of the power of the air. You know, the Bible says that the world is so... so much an enemy that we have to be so careful. In John fifteen nineteen, in your tech, in your outline, it said, "If you are the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you." There are going to be at times, just by definition of being a God follower, that the world will not be impressed with you. So we should not be surprised by that. But the evil one, uh, John eight forty four. If we're related to not only the world but the evil one, what does that say about us? In John eight forty four, it says this: "You are of your father, the devil." Again, that's that whole idea, sons of disobedience or daughters of disobedience. You are connected to the evil one. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, this is, this is not pleasant news, but the Bible says say, anytime you tell something that's not true, you're acting like who? Satan. You're like, acting like the devil. You are following his example. That's the pattern that we have. 
Romans 6 says that we are slaves to the one whom we obey. If we are slaves of God, then we are connected to him. If we are slaves of the evil one, then that's whom we are obeying, and that's how we're living our life after. Now, this bad news is just overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, it's just just saying, that's my condition? I didn't think I was that bad. Maybe the person next to me I thought was that bad, but I'm not that bad. The Bible says you were dead. You were sons of disobedience. Then he goes on and and says, or at least the way I'm putting it, you were depraved. You were depraved where? In your desires. Look at verse 3. He says this. Among whom also you once conducted uh, ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Basically, for... Anybody, there are three attacks on how we live. One is the world, one is the devil, and the other is our own flesh, our own sinful condition or the habits of the old life. And the reason that we do the things we do is because that's who we are. I was reading one author, and he was saying this. In fact, he was talking about this person who had this gathering of people to come hear him speak, and he said, I'm going to tell you why a dog acts like a dog. And there were a lot of dog dog lovers in that uh, community and they just they say oh, i want to find out why why my dog acts the way it does and i can't train him perfectly and they still do some things i just am not pleased with and so they all came out and, and they, they were here was the lecture why does your dog act like a dog because he has the nature of a of a dog and he went on and said you know why your dog doesn't act like a cat <laughs> because it's not a cat And as we think of why do we act like we do? Because we have the human condition of the flesh that rebels against God. Some of us heard the the, the very simple phrase, you can take the the lion or the animal out of the jungle, but you can't take the the jungle out of the lion. Is that there have been many times where people have trained certain animals in, in amazing ways, but then all of a sudden they act back to their what? Nature. And so we need to recognize, again, that we basically are self-centered people that, that want that which is best for us. You know, I, I like defining sin as simply as how it's spelled. S-I-N, the middle letter is what? I. And that's the problem. It's an I problem. Now, here's at times when we, we turn around and we're, we're pointing at somebody else. It's the you problem. It's somebody else's problem. If they, they would just get their act together, then, I, then my life would be fine. And that's why Jesus said, you know, take that two by four out of your eye before you try to get that speck out of somebody else's eye. That doesn't mean we ever, never go around trying to help people deal with the issues that are in our life. But, you, boy, you, you've got to hit your own life first. So what's the bad news? The bad news is pretty bad. We're dead. Apart from God rescuing us, we are incapable of responding to his his spiritual invitations because we're dead. It's lived out. We're sons of disobedience. We act like the world. We act like the evil one. And when that doesn't mess us, we just act naturally. Our nature is one of sin. And the reality is, you know, Patrick and Becky are not going to have to teach Lucy how to sin. She's going to do that quite naturally. And she's going to have to come to that point why she, 
Just like she totally depends upon Patrick and Becky uh, to live physically. She'll need to come to that point where she totally relies on Jesus to live spiritually. She's incapable right now to live on her own. And she's incapable of living spiritually on her own as well. Because she's dead. She's the son of disobedience or a daughter of disobedience. And she's depraved. And in case that doesn't shock us enough, <laughs> what's, what's, the, what's the future like? Latter part of verse 3, it says this. And of, they were, well, we'll read the whole, the whole text. And among whom also we once were conduct ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And then it says this. And were, by nature, children of what? Wrath. Just as the others. Now, we're actually going through a series on Wednesday night on, on the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. And we need to recognize that all of God's attributes and characteristics are in operation at the same time. It's not like God gets up one morning and says, I think I'm going to be loving today. And the next day, he gets up and says, I think I'm going to be wrathful today. Uh, one day, he's going to get, I'm going to be merciful today. And the other day, I'm going to be judgmental today. God is all those qualities at all times. And when we think about God being wrathful toward those who are dead, sons of disobedience, depraved, and now doomed, is because that, that's the condition of God towards sin. I was reading something just this morning. It was, I think, a John Piper quote. And he said this about that the wrath of God is the rescuing of heaven. Because as heaven looks down and sees all the pollution of sin here, they recognize unless the judgment of God is poured out, that's how heaven would be populated as well. And so the destination of, of, of those who are apart from Christ is the judgment of God. Now, now, well, this is a backdrop. If this are true, now, if this is not true, then this is just somebody up here talking. But if this is true, then w- would we want to just think about it for a little bit? Whether I, you know you want to run to Christ, would you think, well, I, I can put this off. It's not that important. W- would you be thinking, yeah, I don't know, or where's the hope? I'm hope you would just be overwhelmed with your condition and just desperately looking for help. And that's where God wants us to be. And he wants us who've already made that decision. Remember, that's where we were. And now what are we filled with now? See, there was a time in all of our lives when we could describe our lives with two words and you. All it was 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 you. Now, and let me say this in case you're wondering about it. We're talking about the depravity of man, as some theologians talk about it, and I'd already use the word depraved. It doesn't mean that everyone sins in the same way other people sin. Some people are pretty, they're pretty good people comparatively. But they're still dead. You know, when people die, when you initially see them, you're not even sure they're dead. You think they may be just asleep. In fact, the Bible talks about death in sleep terms. But if you were to leave that body on wherever it was laid for any length of time, you, you would 
you would not guess whether it was dead, would you? Because there would now take on the elements of decay. And that's why some people sin more overtly than others because the decay has set in. And the Bible talks about that the more that we sin, the more God allows us to sin. The more we rebel against him, the more the rebellion is multiplied. And there are the decrees of decay. There's not decrees of death. That's what we were, and maybe some of you are, B.C., before Christ. But the good news, and this, this is the good news. The good news is but God. Look at verse 4, and then we'll be finished. In verse 4, very simple statement. It says this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. In many ways, uh, some have said this. You're not really saved by the love of God, but you are saved by the mercy of God and the grace of God. So as God looks down at us and, and sees us as dead and being disobedient, as depraved and doomed, ready for God's wrath, he, he, he intervenes and says, because, because I do love you, I'm going to choose to be merciful and gracious. And the more we are in touch with our sin, we realize, that, that how, could, how could a holy God do that? And the only way to explain that is because his mercy is rich. Now, really in America, everyone's rich. I mean, the, the poorest of the poor have cell phones. They have, you know, uh, TVs. They have all kinds of, you know, AC in their houses. They have refrigerators. I mean, there, there are so many things. I mean, some people have a lot less than others, but we're all rich compared to the world, the, the rest of the world. The rest of the world has so few things. The, but we're not even talking about that degree of richness within this planet. Jesus' richness is... is is immeasurable. In fact, that's what the word rich means there. It's immeasurable, unlimited richness. So, so for God to pour out his mercy upon us, is, it's filled with the, the oceans of his great heart that looks down at us and says, even though you are dead, even though you are disobedient, even though you are depraved, even though you are head for wrath, you are doomed. I will choose not to give you what you deserve. I will choose not to give you what you deserve. Now, I don't understand how that plays with God's sovereignty and our responsible choice. But God is gracious, God is merciful. And our part is, is that we can ask to get in on that. But for us to get in on it, we've got to see ourselves clearly. Now, I, I, I might be dating myself, but I, I remember going to music parks, and I don't know if they still have that, where they have the House of Mirrors. Have you ever been in the House of Mirrors? You know, they, you, you go in there, and you have, you have one mirror, and it makes skinny people look fat, you know. And then you look at another mirror, and it makes fat people look Play along with me. Skinny, right? And they look, short people look what? Tall. And tall people look 
And so you go in there and you go, I wonder how I really look after you've been in there for a while, man. And then some people, they, you know, they make you look like an S and they just distort you all kinds of different ways. And you, you spend any time in there, pretty soon you're like, whoa, what is it? I, this, is a, this, is, this is strange. I'm not sure what I really look like anymore. And see, that's what the world does to us. There, there comes a time where we, we get this distorted look at ourselves because everyone is saying, you know, man is basically good and, and if we would just... Uh, have better education, better laws, and everything else, uh, get rid of those religious fanatics, then you know, life would be a lot better on this planet. They're, they're missing the clear picture of who they are. On the other extreme, if you've ever been to a place, I remember, uh, I, I didn't think, there, I knew there were distorted mirrors, but I didn't think there were mirrors that, made, that really showed a lot more clearly than other mirrors. And I'm thinking, I'm looking pretty good, you know, because I had this mirror in our house, and it's not that clear, you know. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't. And then I, then I went into an office, and I don't know if it was, a, it was an eye office or it was whatever it was, but I said, man, you are looking old, Mike. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing every wrinkle, every crevice, everything. Man, that's how I really look? I said, bring me back to when I didn't know what I looked like, right? And see... That's how it is with us. You know, we think we look one way, but if we really saw ourselves as we were, for those of us who have already crossed the line of faith, we would, we would begin every day just marveling at the mercy and grace of God. And if we have not made that step, we would say, God, clean up the mess. Make, make me new on the inside. I, I, I want to ask for your unlimited mercy, your willingness not to give me what I deserve, which is judgment. Give me what I don't deserve, which is new life. And I just humbly bow and ask for your forgiveness. There's bad news, but the good news is even better. Let's pray. Father, there might be some here this morning that it's not what they were, but what they are. If they want to respond to the message of Christ, it, it begins with admitting their need and turning from their sin. Saying, I'm tired of live my own self-centered life. I don't want to live that way anymore. And then secondly, it, it requires believing. Believing that Jesus miraculously came and, and he paid the penalty for our sin, which was judgment. And then rose again. And then coming to the place right now where they want to commit themselves to Jesus as their Lord and their God and their Savior. And simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me my sins. I want to follow you. Make me the person you want me to be. I want to live for you. And when you pray that prayer and really mean it, then Jesus will answer that prayer. And for the rest of us who maybe have made that, that commitment... Help us to be overwhelmed by the true Independence Day, which is the day we were set free from a life of death to a life filled with a life only Jesus can give. Help us to live amazed at your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.